Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as Pastor Randy takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're beginning in chapter 1 of Revelation, where we discuss the role of angels with the church and begin an introduction to the seven letters to the seven churches. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. And I think if you stay with us as we go through this, you're going to find it really is not as hard as it seems. In fact, this morning, we're going to see how he's going to explain some things that cover some things he's already mentioned before, and he'll begin to define what those things are. And when we begin to stay with that, you're going to find that this is not a very difficult book. Yes, there are a lot of questions it leaves us with because we don't see all the fulfillment of it yet, but it's coming. And if we at least understand the framework of these things, you know, and again, as we look at prophecy, I've said that to you before, I will give you some of my opinions on things. I will give you some speculations on things, but I'm not going to primarily give you all the speculations because speculations can be wrong. But what we do have here is a framework of a house that the Lord has given us in this book. And as long as we stay with that framework, as time passes, as events in the world unfold, you'll be able to see and be able to fill in those pieces as we go. So we don't have to reach way out there to do it, but we do need to cover the framework and make sure that you guys walk away with a firm understanding of what the framework is. Amen? So let's this morning pick up in verse 1 again, just for context, but we're actually going to begin studying in verse 19. But let's read through anyways, and then we'll pray. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, 
Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Look at verse 19. He says, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And so after this, really what we've been looking at here in chapter one is, is a fairly lengthy introduction. We're being introduced to the Lord. We're being introduced to Jesus. We're being introduced to John. We're being introduced to all the circumstances that are bringing about the, 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 the writing down of this revelation that's being given to John by Jesus. But after this lengthy introduction, Jesus now gives John what I would argue is an outline for this book. He's just given him an outline for this book in this verse. The, the outline that Jesus gives to John will make, I think, this book much easier to understand as it will enable you to organize and to grasp all the information that we're going to be coming across in this revelation as we study the book. There are essentially three major divisions um, to this book, one which we've already covered. First, John will write about the things he's seen. He says, write the things which you have seen. So he's going to write the things that he's seen, things that, that now are past. And then second, he's told that he's to record the things which are. That's the second category, the things that are, things that will be presently taking place as John is writing this book. And then third, he'll record the things that will take place after this. The things will take place after the things which are. Now, how does that work out in terms of this book? Well, first, the things he's seen are the things he's already seen. These would be the heavenly things that he's been introduced into so far, including his encounter with Jesus Christ. He's already written about these things. It's the things that have been recorded in chapter 1 as a whole. These are the things that he's already seen. But second, the things which are, these are the things that existed at the time that John was writing this book. And, and it includes the things associated with the seven churches that he will be writing to that will be covered in chapters 2 and 3. And then finally, the third, the things which will take place after this. These will be the things which he'll become aware of after the things that have been revealed. In other words, the things that occur after the seven churches are off the scene. It's going to include the things associated with the period of God's wrath being poured out on the earth, a period which we'll discuss later, but which we know as the tribulation. The, it'll deal with the establishment of the millennial kingdom. We'll come to that, that thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, and then the end of the world as we know it, and the ushering in of the new heaven and the new earth. And these things will all be covered in chapters 4 through 22. And so this is the outline of the book. And I think it's the outline is really simple when you think about it. Again, the things which John has seen are covered in Revelation 1. The things which are, they're going to be covered in Revelations 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after this will be covered in chapters 4 through 22. I was thinking to myself as I look at that, you know, thinking of the things which will take place after this, including the idea of the end of the world as we now know it. You know, people are always saying, oh, we're at the end of the world. No, we're not even close to the end of the world. We may be close to the end of history as we know it in this fallen world. 
as it's existed without Christ ruling and reigning over this earth. But even if tomorrow Christ were to return physically to the earth, there's still another thousand years that will take place on this earth. So we're really not at the end of the world, but we are maybe at the end of man's history and the way man has run this globe up to this point. So keep that in mind. But again, if you keep this outline handy, I think it's going to help you organize a lot of the information that we're going to be covering as we move through this. But what I want you to note is something else that Jesus now defines for us, something that was mentioned earlier in the description of Jesus that John wrote down for us. It's something that Jesus now brings up to set the stage for the transition to the things which are that chapters 2 and 3 will cover. Look at verse 20. He says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands. Now, you might remember last week we touched on that, and I told you we'll come back to this. John saw this. He saw the seven stars. He saw the seven lampstands, and he made reference to it in verse 13. But now what's happening is we're going to get a definition of what these things represent. Remember, this is a book that will explain itself or will be explained by other scriptures that already exist in the Bible. But here's what he says. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Well, what exactly are the angels of the seven churches? The the word Jesus uses here, remember this is Jesus speaking to John, but the word he uses for angels in the Greek is the word agelos, agelos. And agelos literally means messenger, means messengers. So based on that literal definition, a lot of people argue that the messenger of any church is who? The pastor, right? The pastor is the one that the Lord has appointed to be the under shepherd of his flock through whom he communicates his word to his people collectively. I'm not suggesting that he communicates it to you individually through me. He doesn't. He does that through the Holy Spirit. And I know that for a fact because when I'm teaching and you tell me, man, I got that this morning. The Lord was just speaking to me and I don't have a clue of what you're talking about because I didn't even discuss that in my teaching. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you individually, but he speaks to us collectively through the pastor of the church who teaches if we're staying with the word of God. I can't disagree with that interpretation that it's the pastor that's being referred to here. I understand that this is my role here in this church. I know that to be the messenger of God to this little flock here at CCCV. And I'm just going to tell you guys, I pray continually that I will clearly hear the Lord speaking and, and that I will convey his word accurately to you. I will tell you honestly that my greatest fear isn't, isn't hearing him correctly, that, that I won't hear him correctly, and, and of getting up here and communicating is something that's far more of me than it is of him. I know I jokingly was saying about the Holy Spirit last week, but the truth is there was a period in there last week where I just kind of felt like, yeah, I was giving you information, but that's what I was doing. I was just giving you information. I wasn't giving you something that was flowing from the Holy Spirit himself because I kind of felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of stopped talking at one point. And, you know, I just wasn't perceiving that. That's my greatest fear. I want to be nothing more than a conduit through whom the Holy Spirit can communicate truth to you so that when you walk away, you will say, you know, I really got something out of that because the Spirit was really speaking through Randy this morning and not, boy, I really got something out of what Randy said. You see the difference between that? And I think it's important. And I can honestly tell you that I am, you know, 18 years in this, I am still as afraid today as I was on day one when I pulled up a stool 
in the old fire hall and began to open up and say, let's open up to Genesis 1-1. I am still as fearful of these things. And I personally take the words that James penned very seriously when he writes in James 3-1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. He doesn't say a stricter condemnation, but a judgment for the words that we speak. You know, as a pastor and the lead teacher of this congregation, I know that what James is saying is that of all the people in this congregation, I'm the one who will come under the strictest judgment by the Lord for the things I do and for the things that I communicate to you. And you might ask why. Well, it's simple, because I'm the messenger that God has chosen to place, at least for this time period, to this local body. And please understand, again, I'm not saying that I'm the only messenger in this body. You know, we have teachers who are teaching kids. We have folks who get up in here and fill in when I'm gone. We have people who teach the adults. We have lots of different things going on, lots of different teachers. I'm not saying I'm the only messenger, but I am the one that he's charged with overall responsibility of representing him to you guys. And that is an awesome responsibility. And James says that it's a responsibility that comes with greater accountability to the Lord. And I take that very, very seriously. But with all of that said, with all of that said, there's also another perspective on this reference here in Revelation. The word used for messenger in Gelos is most often a word that is used in reference to literal angels. It's a word that's used in reference to literal angels. In fact, this word is used 188 times in the New Testament. And in all but maybe a half dozen cases, it's always used to denote real angels, not human messengers. And in the book of Revelation alone, the word is used 67 other times, none of which seem to have the implication of human messengers such as pastors. So even though Jesus could be using it here to refer to the pastors of these churches, the context, I would argue, seems to suggest otherwise. Besides, if Jesus was referring to pastors, why not simply use the word pastor or elder which titles are used throughout the scriptures elsewhere to refer to these human messengers. But instead, Jesus chooses to use a word that is nearly always used in reference to angelic beings. Now, that poses an interesting thought, because if this is what Jesus is referring to, then this means that true churches of the Lord have individual angels assigned to help guide them and to watch over them. Now, please don't misunderstand, don't overinterpret anything that I'm saying here. I'm not in any way trying to get you focused on angels. I understand that there are a lot of people who are doing that today in the church of Jesus Christ. Lots of people are more focused on angels than they are on Christ himself, you know. And I'm certainly not trying to lead you into angel worship as many people are getting into. The scripture is crystal clear about this kind of stuff. We're not to focus on or to worship angels, right? Colossians 2.18 let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Too many people are doing this kind of stuff today in spiritual circles. They're worshiping angels, whether they know it or not, by the focus that they're placing on them. They're, they're worshiping the angels instead of the one that they're to worship. And in fact, they miss the, the very fact that angels are here to point us to the one we're to worship. When they intervene, when they work on our behalf, their whole mission is to lead us back to the one who has redeemed us, the one who is worthy of our worship. The Bible clearly teaches that true angels of the Lord always point men 
to the worship of God. They never take any worship to themselves. Revelation chapter 22 will make that clear in verses 8 and 9. Revelation 22, 8 will say, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, Worship me all you want. No, he didn't. What he said was, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Man, this is like one of those verses. How many verses does it take to make clear that angels are not to be the focus of our worship? Here it says they deny the worship. They don't take it for themselves. And yet what we find today in Christianity are people constantly worshiping angels and focusing on them. This is not scriptural. Watch out for this kind of stuff. But with this said, don't make the mistake of ruling angels out in your theology. Don't make the mistake because some people abuse this aspect of the supernatural to push them out of your thinking when it comes to the things that we encounter in the scriptures. They are agents that God has always used and will continue to use to work out his purposes on this earth and in our lives individually as his people. And yes, even in our lives corporately as his church. Remember, Hebrews 1.14 tells us, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They're here to minister to you and me. The Lord has given them that responsibility. Matthew 18 and verse 10 tells us that there are angels that actually have responsibility for us as individual believers. Here's what it says in, in Matthew 18.10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Their angels, meaning that there are angels with responsibility for various people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, it tells us that they are actively among us as we gather collectively as a church to worship the Lord. It says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is in the image, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, listen, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, there's a lot of theology. We're not going into explaining that this morning, but what this is dealing with is order in the worship in the church, and the bottom line in this is he's saying that there needs to be an order to this, and we need to follow the order because the angels are present, because they're watching. Literally, you could... Interpret that final statement where it says because of the angels to say because of the presence of angels, that they're amongst us, and they're watching our worship of God. Nearly all Bible scholars agree that Paul is making clear reference to the presence of angels during corporate worship. Other scriptures also make it clear that not only are angels present when we gather, but that they're extremely interesting in what's happening in our midst with us when we gather, that they're observing God's work among us individually and, and, and trying to see what he's doing in us, through us, corporately as his church. 1 Corinthians 4.9 for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Angels are watching. 
They're watching what's happening and what God is doing with us. I love what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 through 8 through 10. He says this, Ephesians 3, 8, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What are the principalities and powers? It's the angelic hosts. And he's saying that he's, God is using us to teach them about his grace and his mercy. They're, they're getting to see aspects of God that, that in their relationship with him, they don't understand as fully as we do. And he's using us collectively as his people to display that to him. He says in verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. He's saying here that, you know, again, he's charging them in the presence of Christ, but also in the presence of angels. And 1 Peter says this, I like this, 1 Peter 1.12. 1 Peter 1.12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. The angels are longing to see the work of God, to understand. And if you link that back to what he said in Ephesians, what what Paul said in Ephesians, we understand that one of the ways they do that is by being in our midst as we gather to worship. So with that scriptural understanding of angels and the roles in the presence, there's no reason for us to rule out that Jesus is talking about real angels here in Revelation chapter and chapter one. Maybe the best interpretation is that Jesus is referring to both, you know, referring to the angelic and human messengers that he's assigned to each church for its care and direction because both clearly have a scriptural role to play in the care of his local body. But I tend to lean as I read these passages and he's speaking to the angels of each of these churches that he's actually speaking to an angel that is responsible. So I don't know who the one is responsible and I don't really care because the truth is that would put my focus on wrong things. But I will tell you this this morning that we may see empty chairs in here, but we have no idea who's sitting in amongst us, right? Right? In fact, we're told elsewhere in Scripture that, uh, you know, sometimes it, they have an invisible presence, but sometimes they manifest themselves physically and that there are angels among us. I've, I've mentioned a number of times to you guys, but it's just a, such a cool story. You know, I remember that guy that just blew in when we were in Greencastle, just came out of nowhere, came in, was the most encouraging guy I ever talked to. His name was Dave. Don't even remember his last name. But he came in one day and he said, I just want to encourage you, Pastor. And he came in and he was talking about Calvary Chapel and the teaching of the Word. And he'd been in California, just how neat the Word gets taught. And every week this guy would show up and every time I'd finish a message, and I mean, the early days were tough. It was just tough. And every week he'd come up and he'd just encourage me in the Word. Keep going. This is good. Keep, keep at it. Keep doing doing this, you know, he'd be doing this all the time. And then one day he came to me and he said, Hey, you know, he said, I don't know if I'm going to be around here much longer. He said, I might just suddenly disappear. Those were his words. And I said to him, and it's the first time after like six or eight months he'd been with us that I said, to him, well, what do you do for a living? He says, Oh, I work out at the airfield. I'm an aerospace engineer. So I went home and I said to Cindy, I said, you think I'm crazy? You think this guy could be an angel? I said, what would you be if you were an angel for a living? You'd tell someone, <laughs> aerospace engineer. 
And then the Caneys, you guys remember this guy. Then the Caneys had him over for dinner. I never said a word to them, but before he left, they had him over to dinner one night. Henry grabbed me. The following Sunday, he says, you know that guy, Dave? He says, you know, we had him over to dinner here. And I said, Pastor Randy, he said, I'm just going to tell you something. I think that guy's an angel. <laughs> I said, I'm like, wow. Yeah, and he's an aerospace engineer, too. Works at the airfield. <laughs> Anyways, just that quickly disappeared, and we never heard from him again. Look, I'm not trying to overstate things. Yeah, I kind of am, I guess. But, you know, the truth is, I don't know whether he was or isn't, but I will tell you this. We're told in the scriptures that we don't even know. Sometimes we entertain angels unawares, that they're in our midst. But listen to me very carefully. They're not here to promote themselves, and they're not here for us to promote them. They're here simply to encourage us, to minister to us, and, and, to help communicate God's word to us in many ways so that we will know what it is God wants. So is this an angel that, that Jesus is referring to? I tend to think it is. But if you want to hold to the pastoral theory, that's fine too. It could be both. Look on, he says, he goes on in that same verse, he says, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So next Jesus defines what the seven lampstands are. And, and what they represent. And he tells us that seven lampstands that, that John has seen are the seven churches whom he will shortly be addressing. And although in a practical sense, the connection to these churches is clear, there's a beautiful spiritual picture given to us here that, that we don't want to miss. The imagery associated with the lampstands reveals much about Jesus' priestly ministry. Remember, we kind of left off with that last week. What John was seeing was Jesus performing this, this priestly role that he holds in the heavenly places, and, and he's performing this on our behalf. Now, in the temple, the high priest would be found with the lampstands, and, and he'd be trimming the wicks and, and filling the, the bowl with oil so that the light would burn brightly. But here we see Jesus walking among the lampstands, and the image is clear as he as our high priest. He's faithfully ministering in the heavenly tabernacle, walking among those lamps, if you will, trimming the wicks and, and filling the bowls with oil so that they'll continue to burn brightly. In fact, shortly we're going to begin studying through the messages to these seven churches, and we're going to see even more clearly how Jesus will be performing these priestly functions. He'll be trimming the wicks of these seven churches by honestly confronting them, by honestly dealing with the sin and the compromise that exists in many of the churches that he'll be addressing. And we'll see how he's filling the, the bowls with oil as he encourages them, and, and especially the faithful ones, but even the not-so-faithful ones, by encouraging them to turn away from this, to stop going the direction they're going, to stand firm and to continue on in the faith, encouraging them so that their flames will burn brighter and brighter and higher and higher. You see, isn't that a beautiful picture? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.